Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, episode 99, with Susan Swim of Missouri, and it's DNR, right, Susan? No, it's Missouri <sighs> Department of Conservation. See, and I and I every state is a little bit different, and I, yeah, I usually go, before I do a podcast, I always try to look ahead, and I didn't look ahead, and the I would say the majority of DNR, so I went with that, and uh, then I failed. <laughs> yep, that's fine. Th- thanks for joining us, and we have done a kind of a little series here with uh with Brock Hoyt, he being winning the Torch Award, being one of the youngest game wardens I think I've had on the show, to Bob Bashaw, retired, who is eighty seven, I believe, at this point, 
And then Susan, you're, you're kind of in the middle. And when I talk to you, and this is our second recording, unfortunately, folks, because I had some technical difficulties every now and then that happens. But what resonated off of you, Susan, is when we spoke is that you got revitalized when you got a canine. And I think as game wardens, we all, everybody in a job some, sometimes hits that dead end and it's good to change things up. It's good to go on a special team, get promoted. And I think it's like, for me, it was like at that 10 year mark, I was like, you know, I needed something different, a little bit of job change. And we're able to do that in our careers. And that's what resonated off of you for me was, you know, Susan got revitalized when she got this canine and she got all hyped up again and she was back in the game. And that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Missouri, it's it's an exciting time right now here. We just started the canine program. When I talked to you, we'd only been into it about a year or so. So it's been almost two years now. We graduated in May, this last May, for a year with five canines. And I got lucky to get picked to be one of the canine handlers for Missouri. Um, we went through an interview process and went through the whole thing, went to Indiana and went to training and got to take my canine there and went to a brutal boot camp type training for my age. It was quite the experience having to go through that again. Not, not as young and energetic as some of the young guys and stuff that, that went through it. So. Yeah, but it fired you up, didn't it? It did. And and now, and luckily we've had it, it's been successful. We have uh, started, uh, we've actually got approved and we've got four more new handlers coming in and they'll be taking off in February, and they're going to do their canine training in Ohio. Okay. So we're going to have four more to help us out with training and stuff. And it's been a real success here in Missouri. We've had a lot of good cases made and a tremendous amount of PR that we've gotten from it. So it's been a win-win all the way around. Mm. How many officers or agents you're called in Missouri, correct? Yeah, conservation agents. Boy, you'd ask me that high we have pretty much one per county. Um, I don't have the specific number. So if you I have to guess, to and, I, and I always guess at our state too, because it's constant changing. But are you over 100? Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 But we've lost a lot because we have a lot of retirements going on right now. So it's hard mm. to, to get careers uh, to, uh, oh, it's, we've been hard, it's been a challenge being able to get people to apply. We do get people to apply, but not as many as we used to. In the past, some of our classes, applications, would we might get 300, and now we're lucky if we get, you know, 100 sometimes. Mm. But um, we've got another class coming up here this spring. We just got a class that graduated with 20-some in it, and we're expecting to have another 20 come through, hopefully, this spring. So I think we're all experiencing that as well. And this this generation, you know, they're talking, they're not looking at careers anymore. They're looking at <clears throat> jobs specifically. And, and I keep, you know, when I do the research, you know, the average, uh, this generation changes jobs about every five years right now. And I want to tell them, if you take a job as a conservation, it's like changing a job all the time because the weather changes. So you get into different things, don't you, Susan? Oh, uh, exactly. Like, about the time you get tired of this cold winter weather, then the fishing season picks up and your your whole work habits and everything change. I'm lucky I'm here on a lake assignment. So right now we have archery season going on, waterfowl season. 
But once that gets through in March, we'll start picking up fishing. But really right now the fishing's already starting. We've got a little bit of nice weather and we get more people out and stuff. But and then March 1st, our trout parks open. So it's it changes all the time. And if you don't like an area, you can always put in and change and move to a different county if you want, if that someplace else comes open. And in Missouri, we have such a vast different community or different state that you know if you're up north, you're working farmland. If you're in the Ozark region, you could go work the current river and some of our national rivers where if you're down here, you could work, you know, some of the Ozark hills and a little bit of both on it. So you never know, change your job and change your area and even change the aspect of your job. Yeah. And I think that's what I want to push as an educator, as a recruiter for, you know, conservation law programs through my college and stuff. It's, uh, yeah, I, I understand you guys want to change jobs. You want new challenges, but that's what the, the job as a conservation officer, game warden does constantly. And even the special teams, like, uh, you know, I'm not sure how many special teams Missouri has, but within our small state, I, we have probably a half a dozen special teams that you can get on that you can change up your, your whole scenario your whole life now you're training to be on the dive team now you're training with the canines like you did yep. so and and you were that at that at that point where you were thinking about retirement weren't you and then jumped into the canine thing i i joke with people i say that you know i was gonna probably retire this june but they gave me a dog and a new truck so i decided <laughs> to hang around and it's it has been well worth it it'll be a good way to go out hmm. when i do retire it's been a lot of fun and it's been challenging, but it's also been a lot of fun and meeting interesting people and getting to assist other officers and even other divisions somewhat in our department. So it's it's been a lot of fun and a big challenge. But Yeah, and you're making all these other officers, all these other divisions believe in the canine program, aren't you? I hope so. That's the goal. Every time you have a success, uh, you know, I, as an officer that's worked with canines throughout my career, always call the canine because the man hours certainly decrease when we find that evidence. We can spend, you know, three days looking for shell casings and that canine can spend three minutes. Yep. Absolutely. So a, as our numbers reduce, you know, certainly we have to increase our productivity and I think canines do that for us. But on the other end, there's a lot of training that goes into it. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of commitment, a lot of personal commitment, I'm sure. Yeah, I thought that once I graduated, I'd just come home with the dog and be able to start working and helping everybody out. But realistically, you're always keeping that dog. You're always having to train constantly all the time with the dog. It's kind of like if you ride a bike. If you quit riding a bike, you become rusty at it and you can't, you know, you'll going to have an accident but it's like the dog you have to constantly keep practicing and doing those trainings over and over again to make it successful to be successful so you're doing probably training almost daily on on somewhat of levels yeah pretty much you try to do something every day um even if i'm driving around working and i'll throw an article out or hide something and then come back later on after my shift and go have the dog deploy on it to look for it. So you're always doing little things and it may just be five, 10 minutes, but it, it helps in the long run to keep doing that over and over again. Hmm. And how many years do you have in Susan? Starting this month, it'll be 34 years. So 
And I've been in the same county for 34 years, so I was needing a little bit of a change. So That's incredible. Can, can you talk about, I mean, we're going back 34 years as a woman getting into the conservation agent. I mean, you had to be on the cutting edge at that, that point. Uh, you know, because I, I think going back, we, we, we didn't have a woman in New Hampshire 34 years ago. Yeah. When I started, there were two women that were working, and I know we had some before that, but there were two actually on. And my big fear, I know when I put in for it, I went to one of those college career days, and my dad, one of his friends, was a conservation officer. And so I'd hear his stories, and I just, I wanted to do that. That was my goal, and I'd listen to him talk about all the things he did and stuff. So it really excited me when I was in college. I worked towards it, but I remember going to a career day, and one of the guys told me he said well if you're a woman and you go to work you'll be working in Kansas City or St. Louis because they won't put you in a rural area and I mean that was that was 34 years ago and I'm so glad that that you know you just hear rumors and stuff but I think being a woman too sometimes it's easier for me than some of the guys because I don't know how to put it it just seems like sometimes it's easier for me to talk to guys about like I don't have that ego that gets involved or anything. I know that I'm already, you have to use your voice and your speak to people to get your point across and stuff. So if somebody's upset, it, it seems easier sometimes, I think. Did, when you first started, were, were there ever those sportsmen that talked down to you or? Oh, I got a nickname here at Susie because the old guy said, I don't know, something about Susie Chapstick, the skier, but and that was like when I was growing up, if they called me Susie, that was like not. But I just, yeah, it was kind of, it was more the older gentlemen that had trouble. I They'd always look at the guy and say, now tell me what, it, and it may be a young guy that I had that was a field training officer that was with me, but they they didn't really know if I knew what I was talking about or trust what I was saying. I can tell you in 34 years, I wish I would have known what I know now then because it's so much easier now. It's a lot easier to work and and visit with people and maybe you earn the respect or gain it. Or maybe it's just all the wrinkles they decide, you know, (laughs) she must know what she's talking about. Yeah, no, I I think uh, we've all changed too. I remember when I started, and this is a horrible story that I'm going to tell. As a park ranger, I had a a female uh, supervisor. And one day, uh, this guy reamed Regina. And I went after him and I said, that's no way to speak to a lady. And I just, I gave him the lady talk and I got reamed harder after (laughs) that than I ever have before. Um, And it's just because the way I was raised is that was no talk to a lady. I saw Regina as a lady and even though she was my boss and she was in uniform and boy, I'll I'll tell you what, that's a, I'm glad I learned that at the beginning of my career. Because then I, I just respected, you know, I, and I had several female uh, supervisors after Regina, but Regina was probably the best one. Yeah, it taught me a lot of those those skill sets that, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're an officer and to be treated as an officer and to see you as an equal. And not that I didn't, but uh, just you have to take the, the way that you grew up sometimes and transform your mind into what it, it properly is. And I, and I know Regina didn't take it personally, but... She she was a she was a park ranger, law enforcement park yeah. ranger, and that's the way she was to be treated. If they were going to yeah. give her a bunch of guff, that that's she wanted to take it. 
I know I, I had a situation below one of our bridges one day and I had a, a couple that I, I remember this story cause they were giving me a, a rash and it was a fishing without a permit, something real simple. And they were just giving me all kinds of trouble. And it was during our white bass season. So there was other people standing around watching. And these two older gentlemen that probably gave me trouble and called me Susie came up and they're like, do you need any help? And they're like, we can mess with you, but you're, you're our game warden. We can mess with you. They can't, they're not local. They can't mess with you. If you need anything, we'll help you. So it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword, you know, sometimes those things work out. Yeah, that's, that's a great little story that the, they had your back. You were, you're, yeah. you're our game warden. Uh, if they're going to mess with you, we can call you Susie, but they can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. Much. Any other, you know, interactions like that because of being a female that you, you felt uncomfortable at times or? There's always, I mean, I'm, I'm sure just like with a male officer, there's times that you just know that there's something not right. Mm-hmm. But as far as like a lot of times I have a really good support system with my sheriff's department here. So there'd be times I'd have a situation like that and I'm like, hey, I can deal with it here and we can be friendly or, you know, I can call a couple of my Polk County deputies and they'd be happy to come and waller around on the ground with you or whatever you want to do. And, and it usually diffuses the situation, but it's it's that way. And it's changed a lot. Like you were saying, between 30 years ago, it just now it just it's totally different than what it used to be. Right. It's not unusual to see a female officer. No. Although no. I, I, I think it, it still is extremely low. It's, it's, and I want to say maybe 10% of a field force or, or, or less when you, when you look at it. I mean, New Hampshire, we have like 38 field officers and one female. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. But if you look at, we start just... looking at the ratios nationwide, even though that seems like crazy, but if you start looking at the numbers and the ratios, that's that's about the right ratio. <laughs> yeah. I wish I would have got the numbers before we talked, but um, because I know ours is really high. We just had two new females come in near me, and I've already got uh, – we have a lieutenant that promoted a female in the county that joins me, and then they filled that position with another female, and then the county to her, uh, Christian County, got filled with a female. So in my area, in my region, there's – three or four female officers and one lieutenant that's a female so it's getting i mean we have quite a few here compared i mean not every region's like that but Mm -hmm. um, i'm next to springfield missouri so that's a big metropolitan area for missouri it's not huge but it's it draws a lot more people in yeah do you everybody wants to go to that area uh, if, maybe you don't know this, but of those females that are getting hired, are they coming from hunting and fishing families? Because I know several that grew up with a dad that hunts and fishes and is very outdoorsy, and they are too, and extremely capable girls. And that's those are the types that I see as, as game wardens that are, are so yeah. capable. And yeah, they, they've killed deer, they've hunted, and you know you don't want to tell them you can't do something because uh, you'll end up on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Some of them are that way. We have some that are learning you know like when I started I was not a big hunter I rabbit hunted with my uncle but Mm -hmm. my dad never really hunted we were big fishermen we fished a lot and over the years it took I remember sitting down with the one of our lady officers talking to her and saying man it's easy to write fishing tickets you know I could just you just go up check them and measure their fish they're short or not but the hunting tickets I go I just haven't figured that out and she said it'll come to you just keep doing it longer and sure enough after a while you you figure it out. You start listening. You have to listen mm. and 
to learn and um it it took time but but we do have some that just they we have one that started that her dad worked as a biologist for us and she's doing super good so we have we have some really good ones so we've been fortunate yeah well, I, I love the fishing side because i don't talk about that as much but you talked about uh you know checking some crappy fishermen and that's I love to eat crappy, and I don't fish them enough because I'm too far north, and they're they're a little further <laughs> south of me. But just growing up and knowing those techniques, it's the same with hunting or any any outdoor thing. Is knowing those techniques, knowing how the poachers operate, where they stick their over limits, where they where they do that. I'm sure that's helped you out with with fishermen. Oh yeah, yeah. So. And you're a crappy fisherman yourself. Oh, I I love to crappie fish. Yeah. I said I would retire whenever I learned how to use a crappie jig instead of minnows. Because my retirement, I probably couldn't afford to buy minnows all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was you, getting pretty close to it, and then they gave me the dog and the truck. So then it's like, well, uh, I have to figure out something else. So when you crappy fish, I've always just jigged them. You actually use live minnows? I used to. Yeah. If you don't really know what you're doing, you use the live minnows. This might get me in trouble, but um, but then after time, you learned how to use the the, the jig and. Figure yeah. out takes that sensitive rod to that fishing rod. Right. It is a technique. We have these guys that go out and within two hours they'll have their limit. And then you have the people that go out that fish two days and get three fish. You know, they're right. not so that's me. Two days, three fish. That's why I was interested <laughs> in the minnow idea. <laughs> Do you have a limit on crappie in Missouri? Uh huh. We have a it depends on where you're at, but yeah, on the lake I'm at, we have like a 10 inch length limit and then 15 crappie a day. So, oh, wow, interesting. Yeah. Nope, that's good. And we put limits on our panfish too. It was because it became, it started becoming a commercialization of our fish. So, you know, we had to put limits of 25 on panfish basically, no matter what it is uh, per day, because we had some guys coming from other states that were commercially fishing them and then bringing them back to their states and commercially selling them yeah. where they could legally do that. Certainly, when you start doing that on a regular basis, that start decimating any, you know, yeah. population yeah. of fish. And uh, through the years, we've actually made some really good uh, fishing cases that were related to commercialization. But I'm sure uh, crappie is a, a serious recreational thing in Missouri. Any other things in Missouri like paddlefish and actually the paddlefish is a big deal we've had some very some big arrests and we have like a special investigation unit that has worked it and made some really big arrests on the paddlefish and that's one of the things with the dog that um Astro I mm. want to introduce him to paddlefish eggs and get him trained on detection work on the paddlefish eggs probably start that in January but in March our snagging season opens and we have a lot of people that travel in from out of state and there's a lot of commercialization on the paddlefish eggs itself. So can we so. talk a little bit about paddlefish? Cause I know nothing about paddlefish. Are they migratory or are they just in your lakes or in your streams? No, they're or? in our lakes, but they will, but during certain times of the year, they go up the river some and, but we have hatcheries that we stock a bunch of them in. Oh, okay. So it's a hatchery thing. And I'm not sure if they reproduce at all in the lakes at all. It's it's more of a hatchery. Okay. And their so. eggs, when you speak of that, that's like caviar, isn't it? Yes. It, is it that that's the... what we have the big, uh, that's why they're commercialized. That's why people try to get them. Not everybody, but some will try to just get the fish just for the eggs. So you can legally catch a paddlefish and eat its eggs. You just can't commercially catch a paddlefish and sell its eggs. 
Right. Well, and you can't possess the eggs outside the carcass of the fish. Once you get to your house, you can, but okay. we've made it more regulations. It's just like anything that mm. we've stricken the regulations just to, you know, not everybody's doing that and doing it to do something bad, but, or commercialize them, but you have an extreme number of them that are doing it, then you have to change the rules. You have to close the loopholes that they're using yep. to, to exactly. illegally use your natural resources. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So that'll be something interesting, the dog, to, to find uh, the paddlefish eggs. Hopefully. We're hoping that that works. We'd also talked about using them in airports and stuff like that, but we haven't gotten that far yet. Mm -hmm. I know some states use them for, for other things, but uh, for airports and security and stuff like that, but we haven't got to do do that too much. So that's probably a regular issue you deal with as a paddle. If you've got, you know, you're going to train your dogs on that. You had a special unit on it. That's something Missouri is focusing on is the paddlefish. It's Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It depends. It's just the seasonal thing. Okay. Just like um, it starts in March. We have a lot of people come in. We'd had where the department had uh, rented a uh, bait shop on the lake and we staffed it with, we had a lot of help from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, staffed it with department employees from this unit, the special investigation unit, and they worked it and they were actually going in recording guys trying to sell the eggs and buying eggs and um, it was quite the deal. I think that, uh, I can't remember. They had like a sting, a search warrant and served like over 300 warrants all at the same time. And, and I got to get involved in that where we went to a house and knocked on the door and everybody knocked on the door at the same time. And I don't know exactly how many arrests that came out of it, but you know, it was a big deal and it made the national geographic award. So. It wow. Was yeah. Yeah, no, I find that stuff fascinating because I don't have anything like it, and I just I want to learn, and all these yeah. uh, natural resources that people benefit from, sometimes legally and uh, sometimes not so legally, for sure. And yeah. uh, have you had paddlefish eggs before? Have I what? Have you ever ate them? Oh no, no. I think I did once. I went to Nauwea in uh, New York, 
And I don't know if you were at that one, but they had the caviar and I think I just tried like a little bit of it. And yeah. That was it. it was nothing I would want to eat. I've tried you know. caviar out of the can before, so I don't know what that was from, but uh, <laughs> yeah, not my, my taste, salty little, uh, yeah, yeah. so it wasn't, my, I, I don't know the big deal, but. Yeah, no, I don't either. So yeah, my, my grandmother was big on perch eggs, so we'd take all the eggs out of the yellow perch and she would eat those. Yeah, but I think it was, you know, the things they used to do at the turn of the century because they didn't have a lot of food. I mean, she'd take bacon fat and put it on bread. And eat it because that's what they did growing up as a little girl is that's, they didn't have much. So they'd take the bacon fat or the fat yeah. and just spread it on that. And so I'm wondering if, if that was, you know, a derivative of that. Is that what we used to eat? So, but yeah. she, she, she would, we'd save all the perch eggs for her and she would eat those up and she was all happy to have them. So, uh, mm. certainly a form of caviar, just a, a different type of fish. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, very always interested. So, uh, and your canine. So you, you went to Indiana with Jeff Milner, who just retired. That, that's an awesome program there. You guys now have what? How many dogs did you train in Indiana? We had five that went through Indiana. And, and we had three, three labs and two German short hairs. Nice. And- we went there and graduated, and we're back now. But uh, it was it was a fun fun time. The running one mile every Friday wasn't so much fun sometimes, but yeah. we uh, we made it through it. So yeah, and those tracks, um, it's just getting in shape to do those tracks because those tracks yep. can be. Yep. Mile long, two mile long, yep. just just depends uh, on what it is. So, yeah. but but yeah. I get it. At the end of my career, I wouldn't be looking forward to riding a mile every week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly glad I promoted. <laughs> yeah, running a mile and running a mile behind a dog that's tracking it's, is a little. It's a little different, not, isn't it? You're being drugged. So I was being drugged a lot at the beginning. So oh, I handled. I had a German Shepherd that I trained to track and. What I learned about German Shepherds is they like, you know, the track or the track layer would go through the nastiest stuff. So I'd have to go oh, through yeah. that. And it was never slow. It was always fast. And I don't know how many cuts <laughs> and brambles I would get. And he got the biggest kick out of the guy that was laying the track. He just used to love that. So yeah. it was more about dragging me through the woods than it was uh, the, the dog tracking because yeah. he knew the dog was going to track. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, but just it's gotten yeah. a lot easier since I've gotten back. I've slowed him down a little bit, and it's, yeah. it's become a lot easier. He's kind of we got a you know more of a on each other's page now. He knows that I'm not going to go as fast as he wants to go, so he has to slow down just a tad bit for me. So nice. And he's trained on he's he's tracking and uh, what other things is he trained on? He does tracking is a big thing. Um, it's been a lot of fun because we get a track in on like. If somebody's trespassing, you can tell right away mm, where they went. Uh, yeah. It's just made so, that saves so much time. It does. Not having to sit there for three hours waiting for them to come out, and then they come out on the neighbor's property instead. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing is probably the evidence or article searches, like the shell casings that we were talking about. Finding shell casings, it's like that gunpowder, finding firearms, it's like, crack cocaine to that dog. I mean, he just, it's just phenomenal the gunpowder smell to them. It, they find a lot of shell casings. Or if somebody drops something um, during deer season, one of the officers contacted me. And actually, he's going to be a new canine handler. And he had a gentleman that shot from the roadway. And we went and looked for a shell casing and we didn't find anything. So we went out in the field to see if the guy, the gentleman had gotten a deer because we had a really good call on it. 
and we're coming back through and all of a sudden Astro just like locks up and he alerts on something. Sometimes he sets and sometimes he points and I hate to get onto him for the pointing because it's kind of fun to see that hmm. point of a Labrador. Yeah. So, uh, but he locked up on something. We looked down and I go, who lost their keys? And we found that the other officer dropped his keys on his way out. So <laughs> oh, found the keys. Made him a believer. In. Yeah. Well, he already, he was there. He's actually excited about it and put in for the, for the unit and got hired. So he's going to be, got picked to be one of the new canine handlers. So he's excited to get his dog and start. That's awesome. And, and again, you're going to stick with labs and pointers or. Um, any hunting breed, any hunting breed, yeah. Oppiered hunting breed. I'd know for sure what they're looking at. Uh, the pointers and ones we've got now, but that's not to say they may not go to something else. They may. Yeah, so. no, no, for sure. And, uh, it's interesting to see the, the pointing breeds coming into that. Cause that's fairly new. I would say in the last 10 years that we're actually using those breeds, uh, more consistently. And actually I have two of them in the house now. I've, I was a German shepherd guy. My son seems to be a German wire hair pointer and a German short hair pointer. We have a little puppy running around the house right now. So yeah, we, we won't go to the pointy ear dogs. We'll just do the hunting breed dogs. Like yeah. the, the floppy ear dogs as Jeff likes to call them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of interesting the way they work too. The difference between them and the labs because they cover a whole lot more ground than the labs do. Quicker, they'll spread out quicker. But then the labs, if you have an area that you want to concentrate, they'll work. They don't get too far out, not as far out as like the the German short hairs do. So, and would you say the labs are a little more thorough? I don't. I I don't want to get myself in trouble. <laughs> And you're, you're probably a little biased. Yes, I was going to say, you're probably a little bit biased there. And I, I totally 100% understand the bias. I would get myself in so much trouble if I answered that question. Yeah, so. no, I, I, I get it. And, and uh, I, I, as a connoisseur of all breeds, working with 4-H and stuff, I, everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses. And yes, that's exactly. one thing I see in the pointing breeds. They are so fast that sometimes... Yeah. They, they, and it's funny because uh, when they go past it and that all of a sudden they smell it and that head turn and the ring, you know, spin. Yeah. And, and I'm going to relate this because I just came out of New York City. And if you go with a law enforcement officer now around the cities of the country, is it's when you smear, smell marijuana anywhere now because it, it can be anywhere. And yeah. it's got that, that, oh, you, that head swivel. Uh, <laughs> but the, the officer gets birdie, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. And it's just so it's it's just so funny to even though it's being legalized everywhere we have been so in tune to that smell and uh yeah it's just like a head pivot and I, I just every time I think of it I think of it as a dog getting birdie or locking on <laughs> uh some evidence there cuz that's exactly yep. what that officer has been trained to do for you know the guys I'm hanging out with you know 20 plus years and you know this next generation of officer is going to be totally different because they're yep. growing up with a different set of rules. Yeah, oh. exactly. Has that been challenging? I mean, you got your tenure in there for sure. Is all the changes that have been coming from law enforcement, especially in the last five or six years? It's just, I think back, and I mean, I remember whenever you could just get away from work. You had an answering machine at home that, you know, you get home, check your messages. Now you have that cell phone with you all the time. So even if you're off, you know, I, I can't stand it. If I'm off and somebody, they have a real problem, they'll call me five times just one right after another and then you answer and you're off and you answer and it's like well there's a deer caught in a fence over here you know and it's like something that's like you know but it that has changed a lot because you're more accessible than 
in the mm. past. As far as the things, as far as rules and regulations, not so much. I mean, you know, in my area, we just legalized marijuana in Missouri. It's going to be legal now. And so it'll be a, it'll be a change to mm. as far as what you can and can't do. Because less, less fishing checks, you know, that was always seemed like more of an issue all the time. You know, I, I think I got more marijuana arrests than yep. fishing than any other place. The thing that gets me about the fishing and stuff that I've seen in just the last five years is the technology. Now we have mm. live scope and we have all these graphs and stuff. Back in the day, you didn't have all that stuff, so you didn't ch- see the limits of fish being caught. Now I go to the boat ramp and we'll check people coming out, and I might check. Everybody may have a limit where it used to be, you know, just that one or two guys you'd see that, you know, old Joe that had these old B-bottom boat always knew where to go and knew how to catch fish. Now it's become easy for everybody. Mm. I mean, it's just the fish coming out of the lake. I just don't see how it can sustain the the source or the pressure because it's just so many fish being taken out all the time. And it makes it easier and easier because like live scope and nothing against live scope. I went and bought one because it's fun, but I mean, it just makes it so easy now. And when you speak about a live scope, that's just an underwater camera, correct? Right. Okay. Yep. Kind of like a depth finder. It's a depth finder, but it's really precise and it can, a fish finder that can, I mean, it, you can watch a fish bite your hook. Mm. So, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and that's that's an awesome point, how technology is going to affect all populations. I know one thing around the country is the trail cameras now, you know, how that has uh, increased our effectiveness in hunting targeted animals, where before, I mean, to the point where, geez, I, I think Arizona uh, was the first one to out, outlaw, you know, trail cameras. And that, to see how it, how the trend goes, because I yeah. I can see that, and you're, you're, you're actually, you know, there's the some... Things that are being electronic devices as far as hunting, they are restricted in something. You can't use an electronic uh, turkey call. I mean, at least nationwide, I don't think anybody can use an electronic turkey call. Yeah. You have to use the manual mouth or hand or something other than that. Because think how effective an electronic turkey call would be and how, yeah. And so that's what our biologists have to look at, our population and how that these new technologies are affecting them. Then we have to regulate appropriately so we can uh, make sure everybody <laughs> is is getting uh, their fair shake uh, recreationally. Certainly commercially, they could, they could wipe out populations if they commercially fish things using some of this technology. We've, we've found with the live scope, especially on the paddlefish, because you're allowed to fish in Missouri paddlefish during the season and so we've had guides that are taking out and they used to they'd take one group out in the morning one in the afternoon and now it, they're able to take four or five groups out because they have the live scope now and they can target those fish easily wow now with the live scope. so and that we I've heard them talking about maybe a change in some regulations and stuff but I don't know that's way above my pay right. grade as far as what they're decided to do with that but that- it's very interesting how that could just like you were saying, the game cameras, I have had discussions with friends of mine that a gentleman friend of mine, he sets 15 game cameras out. I'm like, why? He goes, well, I know where that deer's going. Mm. And then I know when it's there and I know it's going to that next camera. So I go out, he don't even go out and hunt till he sees the deer in the area. And it's just like, that's yeah. not hunting. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's definitely changed the way we, <laughs> the way we hunt for sure. No, which yeah. is, which is, you're right. It's not hunting. It's, uh, and, and it fits into our busy schedules. I will say that, uh, <laughs> Because, yep. you, know, you know, bear hunting, I got out like once and I had better intentions of that. But if I knew exactly when that bear was going to be there, of course I'd be there. And that's, uh, you know, it fits into our busy schedules, so to speak. But if we're more effective than we were before, if that's going to certainly affect wildlife populations, uh, that paddlefish example is is huge. It's huge, yeah. you know, certainly. And, and you, you brought up a good point that I always just say, I don't make the laws, I just enforce them. If you don't like the laws, call your representative, call your, you know, your fishing game commissioner. But these rules are normally set up for a reason. It's usually a biological reason or a social reason. So, and that's what, you know, fishing game laws have been based on forever. More so biological, I think, in the last, you know, 25 years compared to social before, like hunting on Sundays. Um, does that have a biological effect? Well, you, you could say it, it there's less effort. Uh, if you don't allow Sunday, Sunday hunting, then I'm not sure what Missouri does, but I know we have a Maine or one of our joining states doesn't allow Sunday hunting, which helps New Hampshire huh. because they all come to New Hampshire during Sundays if they border. So it increases our our sales. Oh, wow. Yeah. So and I've never heard that before. That's the first time I'd ever heard that there was actually a regulation like that. Yep. No Sunday hunting. Yeah. Which is interesting, but it, it has a effect. You say, you know, it was social probably when it started because of church and things like that. But nowadays I think it's, it's the amount of effort you put in to harvest that amount of deer. So yeah. if you add that Sunday hunt, how much are you going to add to your take? And are you going to do that? Cause that's how they weigh the harvest reports is how much effort you put in compared to what you've harvested. Yeah. So I, I, I find it fascinating as I talk to game wardens around the country and around the world, the little different things, but that's all affecting us, Susan, that technology and the, the, the interesting thing, the paddlefish where you said, you know, two, two trips a day, but now they can zoom out, catch their, catch their limits, pick up another crew, zoom out. I mean, you're talking four fish a day to 12 fish a day. Yeah. Could be even more than that. You know? Wow. I mean, but if it's a put and take system, like you said, there's no breeding of paddlefish. And they, and I could be wrong on that. They may in some of the areas. Mm -hmm. I'm not real sure. Yeah. I know I worked at the hatchery and I was, I come from a trout hatchery background. So I know at the trout hatchery, we stocked and raised trout at Tanny Como hatchery at Branson. And it was a put and take. They didn't, the trout didn't reproduce. I mean, there may be a small amount of them that reproduce, but successful reproduction was not possible with the trout there because of the water fluctuating now on the lake it may be different i may be wrong on that but well those are all things again if we if it's a put and take fishery where we're raising them for them to be caught so <laughs> that's that's another thing that has to be looked at so there's all kinds of little aspects to fishing game work that's interesting and i think sportsmen and women need to understand that and those are the questions we always get is it a, well why did the state do that why did the state you know we're always made yeah. to be out the bad guy and th th there is reasons and if i could ask a question if they can ask a question of hey why did they do that you know and then come out with an answer i think our paddlefish are a lot like our walleye here we have walleye that reproduce but we don't they don't reproduce soon enough or fast enough so mm. we do have hatcheries that stock walleye in so many not not nearly enough, but um, I do know we, we do raise some paddlefish in the hatcheries and stock them. But. Right. 
And that's sometimes driven by the expectation of the sportsmen and women out there that are harvesting. And if we, if we stopped stocking things, I mean, the take would go drastically down. And boy, then we'd have an uproar. Yeah. <laughs> no, Missouri sounds like a very cool place. The only experience I've had is watching that show, The Ozarks. So. Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to bring that up <laughs> yeah so uh, and then i learned the ozarks just aren't in missouri i always thought the ozarks were just in missouri but it's a whole strip kind of like uh the appalachian appalachia yeah that was something i learned because i didn't realize the ozarks run right down and, and correct me if i'm wrong then they grab a little bit of tennessee a little bit i think so a little bit of Maybe uh, geez, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there because I'm not my geographics aren't aren't that good, but it runs like through three states or more, so yeah, it's just like the Appalachian region. Yeah. So, and you got the northern end of that, Susan? Is that? I'm in southwest Missouri. Southwest. So, I'm down kind of bordered Kansas, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, like some of Arkansas. Our region does. So we're down at the very bottom. We're not in the boot heel part, but we're in the other side the southwest mm. well look in the view out your window it, it looks like a gorgeous gorgeous place uh for sure yeah, it's, it's nice day today we're supposed to get some storms this afternoon maybe but yeah do you have to deal with tornadoes at all down there oh yeah yeah, yeah. so that's again something that i'm very unfamiliar with and i'm pretty happy i'm unfamiliar with it so yeah. <laughs> hey susan thanks so much for joining warden's watch and giving us a little piece of missouri a little piece of, of being a, a game warden female for 34 years and then switching it up and switching it up getting a canine getting revitalized uh for sure i mean we certainly talked about you know how our job changes and it's great if you want to change uh if you want to transfer out to a different area that's that changes but if you want to get into a specialty team that changes and then if you if you want to get promoted it, it changes the whole aspect and if that's what the next generation is looking for is change uh, i think being a game warden a conservation officer in any state would be a, a great career Absolutely. Hey, I really appreciate you joining uh, me for the second time. <laughs> well, that's, that's fine. It's, Great. Uh, like I said, the first time, it's like uh, it's the job is like chocolate cake, and then the canine's like putting the frosting on top of the cake. It's just a, it's a great job, and it's a great you know career. If anybody wants to go into it, it's a lot of fun. That's so. just awesome. No, I appreciate you, and that's a good way to end this uh, podcast. So. Thanks again, Susan Swim from Missouri. Thank you. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.